You weren't homeless. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I pray uh, as, we, as we come into your presence, Lord God, to, to talk to you, uh, to hear your word preached, uh, that you would uh, bless us. Um, help us to know you more uh, through the preaching of the word. Help us to know you more through um, hearing your scriptures explained. Um, help us to, to be in your presence today. I pray that your spirit would speak through me, um, um, through my, my weakness, through my mistakes. Uh, um, and I pray that you would, uh, would, would touch the hearts of the folks who are here today, that people would hear from you. Um, in Christ's name. Oh, and praise you, Lord. Praise you that the Phillipses are moving, that all of the, the hands uh, that, that were involved in building and preparing and painting and everything else, Lord God, you are... You are amazing, and, and we praise you for the blessing that is like the people who are willing to, to put the work in and, and do, the, do the stuff that needed to be done. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, little kids can head for Children's Church except for Titus. You're going late. Come here. Yeah, he is in trouble. This is my son. Have you all met him? No. He dressed himself today. Oh, i got to hit record. So, Titus, we got to start over in a second. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> Are you embarrassed? You're embarrassed? This is my son. You walked out the door like that, and now you're embarrassed? Anyway, all right, this is my son. My son did something awesome this morning. I was sitting in the back. I was uh, talking to Charlie, and I was, I was singing, and my son brought me this car, right? Why did you bring me this car, Titus? That's right. All right, go, go, go. I'll explain it to him. Take your bag and put it back. Thank you. I, uh, I am a huge Batman fan, right? I, uh, I, I read the comics. I like the movies. I'm a big Batman fan. And I, uh, I have, whenever I come across one of these little dollar matchbox cars, I pick them up, and I have a little line of them on my desk. And my children come in to my office every morning and they say dad can we play with some of the batman cars and we hand out the batman cars and they they go out and sometimes more come back than went out which is weird uh and sometimes um more often fewer come in than went out and and so this one i think i actually have like three of these which is funny it's not a very big deal to me right it's just not um but what is a big deal is titus found this car somewhere i'm not sure where i under the desk, <laughs> and and he brought it to me, and he was so proud, he was so excited to give me this Batman car, right? Which it doesn't seem like that big a deal, right? Because it's all about scale. In Eric's perspective of the world, this is a dollar Batman car that I have several of, and that I I you know I'm going to let him play with in a few days. In Titus's perspective, this is a thing that he could give to Dad that dad will really like, that he'll really love, that will make him really happy, and that is such a big deal, right? Um, this is the Titus equivalent of giving mom dandelions. You all know what I'm talking about? Where the and, and I'm sure every mom in the room has had to dispose of dandelions at some point. Um, I'm allergic to them, and, and so, uh, so naturally they grow in abundance on my lawn. Um, but it is this... This thing, like this, this weed, this not as good, but we love you and this is what we bring to you, okay? This is a big central idea in what we're going to look at today, um, and I, I have spent the last week trying to figure out how to approach this text and what to do with it, and I was sitting in the back 
thinking, oh my gosh, I better come up with something quick. Um, because it is just not a very easy passage to come at because of the content and because there's some weird dynamics to play out. We are working through the Psalms this summer. And the Psalms are worship, right? Like the Psalms are the psalmist, the guy who wrote these songs, coming to God and pouring out his heart for him. And, and I think sometimes those things, we read them and they're a little weird and they're a little scary, you know, like when he talks about how his attitude towards his enemies or people who have like hurt him or, or whatever, like sometimes these things are really hard to read and they're really hard to understand. And this is one of those examples. And, and as we dig into it, I want to make it clear, this is an example of like, like somebody bringing to God their best. And at the end of the day, what matters is like, like they brought God their best. Does that make sense? You know, when, when Titus brings mom dandelions, which is about eight seconds before I throw them away because I'm super allergic to them, he's doing it because it's the best he can do and he loves her and he wants to show her that he loves her and this is it. Batman car is Titus saying, Dad, I love you and I want to make your life better. And I want to make you happy. Everybody with me? Um, so we're going to dive into this psalm and, and hopefully my illustration here is going to make sense. Um, Real quick, this is a psalm that is at the tail end of a collection of psalms. They're all songs asking for God to rescue. God, please come and rescue me. God, I am in a lot of trouble. I need you to pick me up and pull me out of this hole I find myself in. And this is a song of deliverance. This is like at the end of the God Rescue Me series. This is God showed up, and this is how awesome when he, like he was when he showed up. We talked about that last week. God's grand entrance, you know thunder and lightning and very, very frightening and big dark clouds and, and the earth shaking and fire and, you know, just amazing, um, big, impressive, scary, like, like to be taken very seriously. And, and so that was last week, God arrived. This psalm is about 50 verses long. And so in spite of John asking me to do it all at once, I had to break it up into little pieces. Um, <laughs> This is the second part. So the first part, he talks about him crying out to God, how he's in all of this trouble. He cries out to God. God hears him from afar and comes charging in to rescue him. And it's all, you know, symbolic and, and speaking in an analogy and all that. But, like, God is showing up in a big way. Um, this, is, uh, this is Mama Bear tearing out of the woods when my microphone is on. Really? It's actually because the microphone came loose and it's hanging down. Is that better? No, now we can hear you. Um, <laughs> do I need to start over? No. No. <laughs> um, so God has showed up to deliver. He has is, he is dove in full force. It's like the mama bear where, where we see, y'all ever watch those videos where somebody's messing with a little baby bear? And you think, what are you doing? And then mama comes tearing out of the woods and it's the end of the world or the end of the cameraman's world. Um, and, and that is what this is. Literary form, this is a big deal because like this is, the Psalms are unusual because we get full force the writer's perspective as a part of the equation. Like it is a huge chunk of what is going on in the, in the text. Um, and you have to do a little more parsing out. Um, you have to do a little more picking apart, but it gives us something that we can relate to and something that we can connect to. Um, it, it's a little like those songs that, that you used to listen to when you were in high school that just go right to the heart of who you are. You know what I mean? 
that you put them on replay and listen to them a hundred times because you don't have a heart. Like <laughs> you put them on replay and listen to them a hundred times, and your parents come and just play a different song. I don't even care. Um, they they speak to us, and that's why it's a big deal. So the first fifteen verses is God arriving. Now we're going to pick up sixteen. We're going to go to thirty. So um, just a little chunk of it. Um, so it begins 16 to 18. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, and the Lord was my support. Um, so the first little bit there is a really big deal. He reached down from on high and took hold of me and drew me out of the deep waters. Have any of y'all ever nearly drowned? Um, I, I have not ever nearly drowned. I was in a, on a river trip when I was a little kid with my family and a bunch of people from where my dad worked. And I remember we were playing this game where we would ride. We had the, the vests on and we would ride down on the current and you'd catch yourself right before the edge of, of the shallow part. And then you'd come back and you'd do it again. And I, I remember one day, like, like one time when we were doing this, I remember the feeling of that sand slipping out from under my feet and just going around the corner <laughs> and hollering, oh my goodness, I'm, you know, help, 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 help. And I remember one of the guys my dad worked with, a little, like, young guy, dove in and swam out and dragged me back. And like how, man, water's scary, isn't it? I mean, not being able to breathe or being dragged away by it. I mean, it is, it is constant and it is strong and it is terrifying. And for the ancients, like especially ancient Jewish writers, when you come across deep waters or raging seas, usually it, it kind of is referencing chaos and death. Or destruction, um, especially in the Psalms, we see it as an analogy for death or hell, like being cast out of God's presence. And so the psalmist is saying, listen, I was under the water. I was gasping. I was drowning. And God reached down and just pulled me out of it from from the grave. God pulls me up and rescues me. I was in trouble to the point of death, and God pulled me out. And I, he rescued me from a powerful enemy. In context, this is talking about King Saul um, and, and, uh, and actually the Philistines probably as well. Because at this point, when David wrote this, and it's in Samuel, uh, like Samuel's books, like it's in the, the histories. Um, at this point, David has just overcome Saul. Um, Saul has been trying to kill him. He's had to flee his own country. He's nearly been killed over and over and over again. He's fled and he's hid amongst the Philistines. And the Philistines hate him because he was their enemy. And he had to fake being crazy and he was in constant danger. And he lived for years in constant danger, in constant peril. And he lived in this deep waters kind of place where everything was as broken and as screwed up as it was going to get. His powerful enemy pushed him out of the country and amongst his enemies he lived. And, like, all of this disaster is around him, and the Lord was his support. This is a big deal, right? The Lord was his support. Um, I'm going to get to the Batman car. I didn't just bring that up. It'll, it'll have a point. Um, there's a hard part of this passage that i got to get to in a bit. Um, so the Lord being his support means that when he was in this moment, he turned and he said, God is going to rescue me, right? God is going to rescue me. Now, this is not a small thing. This means that in every moment of his peril, in every moment of his fear, he turned and said, God is going to rescue me. God is going to rescue me. Um, 
this is, I, I talked about this last week, how, how my children, that thunderstorm we had a couple weeks ago, there's this big loud crack of thunder, and as I was laying in bed, I heard the footsteps, you know, the tiny little footsteps, and I heard the tiny footsteps run across the house and up the stairs, and I, my son kicked the door open. He kicked the door open <laughs> and, and expected, Dad's going to rescue me, you know, and, and more or less, Dad said, go to bed, you just woke me up, you little monster. No, I'm, I was a little nicer than that. <laughs> um, I did get up and help. I didn't just, you know... But, but like this attitude of, and this is a lot of what we talked about last week, and as we go into the grow portion, like this is all application, right? This is the grow, how we grow spiritually. The first step to growing spiritually is trusting God in our circumstances. And in this instance, like we have to trust that God will rescue us. The biggest thing that we, that we are going to find in the, these particular collection of Psalms is it's easy to assume that God isn't going to do anything, isn't it? Like, it is easy to assume that I'm going to pray and God is going to do nothing. I, I read a uh, story about George Mueller, and this is almost what I started the sermon with. George Mueller opened a collection of uh, orphanages in England in the 1800s when orphanages weren't a thing. Um, they were very uncommon. It was very common for children to live on the streets. And he opened these orphanages with no money. And with no support, and he, he said, well, we're going to pray about everything, and that's how we're going to do it. And there was a morning, many years into his, into his ministry doing these orphanages, where he woke up, or he went to bed, and the night before, um, he was approached by the woman who ran their pantry in their kitchen and said, we have nothing to feed the children tomorrow. There is no food in this place, and we have no money to buy anything. We will not be eating tomorrow. And he said, "Make breakfast, in, or set the tables in the morning, and God will provide breakfast. And he went to bed got up in the morning, went out, 300 children sitting at the tables, and he said, all right, guys, we're going to pray, and we're going to thank God for the breakfast he's going to give us, and we're going to wait. And George Mueller prayed, God, thank you. And they waited in front of empty tables with empty pantries in a kitchen that hadn't cooked a thing, and after about three minutes, a knock came at the door. And it was a baker from across town who said, I woke up, couldn't get back to sleep, I felt like I needed to make bread for you. And so I've brought a truckload of bread for you. And they distributed the bread, and as they were distributing the bread, another knock came at the door. And they answered it, and it was a man with a milk cart who said, my wheel came off, and the milk's going to go bad before I can have the cart moving. Would you guys like this milk so it doesn't spoil in my truck? And so they handed milk out to all the children. And, and like this, this story, this God will rescue you. How often do we do that? How often do we say, God's going to take care of me? Because sometimes he doesn't, Right? One of those um, funny things I always would hear from kids uh, when I worked at the children's home, you'd meet these young, you know, these teenagers who are um, drug addicts, and they would be in jail, and, and in jail for the 10th time or whatever, and they're in real trouble, and, and they would sit there in their jail cell after four months and say, God, I will do whatever, just get me out of here. And like a week later, they'd be out, and they'd be in rehab, <laughs> and how many times I talked to those guys, and they're like, yeah, I really wanted God to get me out, period. I didn't want him to put me here. Like, I just wanted to be out of jail and free. And like, well, you wanted to be out and free because we're going to go back to getting high. Well, yeah, of course. You didn't want to, like, be free from your addiction. You wanted to be free, free. Um, part of what's tricky about praying and asking, like, God does things in accordance with his will. Um, and oftentimes we ask, and we ask our way, right? And God is 
amazingly powerful. God is amazingly strong. God is amazingly merciful and like generous, but God is amazingly so in harmony with his will. Um, and so like the strongest you can ever be is to pray in harmony with God's will. Um, I, my daughter, this is the example, I've used it a million times and it's been like five years because she's not a little kid anymore. We used to keep these five-gallon bottle, bottles of water in the kitchen and Abby thought they were the best toy in the world to play with. And she would try to move them around the kitchen, but Abby weighed about 30 pounds. She weighs 40 now. Um, and she could, not, she could not move these big bottles of water. And she'd drag and pull, and then she would turn around and she'd say, Dad, can you help me? And amazingly, Abby could move around all kinds of five-gallon bottles of water if I was doing most of the work. But sometimes Abby would ask, and I didn't want to help because I didn't want the water bottle where she wanted it. Because sometimes she'd lay it on its side and use it to stand on top of to get into something. I know nobody else's kid did that. And so I would say, no. And she would pull and pull and pull, and that water bottle wouldn't go anywhere because she wasn't asking in harmony with my will. My drug addicts, who I would work with, the ones who would say, God, just get me out and make me free. Free was not what they needed. And a lot of times he'd let them sit. And when he did what he wanted, it wasn't what they wanted. The surest way, the surest way to learn to pray effectively is to learn to have your heart in harmony with God's will. Trust in him that he will operate in harmony with his will and watch what he will do. And sometimes what he will do is give us hardship to help us grow. Anybody ever gone through a long period of misery and said, God, why am I going through this? And about two years later, you look back and you're like, man, I'm glad I went through that because I'm better now. I'm stronger. My situation is better. It is amazing. Effective prayer, like James says that, like the prayers of righteous men are powerful and effective, but they're effective when they're in harmony with God's will. And ultimately, that's the most, like, like, strong we can be. When I'm on his team, I am strong. When I'm doing things on my own, I am not. Um, We can assume God is not trustworthy, and sometimes God ignores us because we don't trust him. Sometimes we go through the motions. Sometimes we just ask and we don't care. Um, The heart of these psalms is crying out to God because he is it. I am at the end of my rope. I need you to rescue me. Um, And so, like, as we learn to give it to God, part of that is learning to align our will with his. Part of it is learning to trust him. Um, and part of it is to understand that he has our best in mind, right? It doesn't feel that way all the time. It just doesn't. I, I, I have taken my daughter for shots on many occasions, right? All right, honey, it's time to get our, our such and such shot. How much do you think my daughter loves shots? Do I know what's good for her though? Um, God sometimes allows or sometimes acts in harmony with what we need. Um, so we keep going. 18 to 20. It's only 15 verses and he's only done four. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanliness of my hands, he has rewarded me. Now, here's where this is all going to get real dicey and hard. Watch this. I'm good at sinning. Anyone else? Man, there are days I set out to do the right thing and I figure out a way to make it the wrong thing, right? And there are days I do the right thing, but I do it with a heart that's all screwed up. 
because I'm being selfish or miserable or arrogant or whatever. And guess what? You can do the right thing in the wrong way and be wrong. Um, what God desires of us, what God desires of us is that we love him and bring him the best gifts we can bring him. Titus knows I love Batman, and he knows I buy these little cars. He doesn't know I buy them mainly for him, honestly. Um, (laughs) I was waiting for that. That was a setup. That was a... (laughs) Titus knows what makes me happy, and so he brought me something that made me happy. Is this a big deal, or is Titus loving me a big deal? At the end of the day, righteousness for men, righteous means like to be innocent or to be in a right place legally before a judge, um, as it's used in this context, that word. Um, We cannot be righteous on our own. I cannot be good on my own. I sin constantly. I have so many black marks on my record. It's unbelievable. And I've gotten pretty good lately compared to what I was. And what I was was awful. Um, Righteousness only comes in Christ. Like, Like, God looks at us and he knows that we're bad at being good. And so he comes and he becomes one of us and he is punished for the bad things that we do. Um, Like Christ, when he's crucified, he's hung on the cross. God pours all his anger at Eric out on Christ and then, like, like punishes him and, like, spends out all of that guilt, you know, all of that retribution. And I'm forgiven. And so he looks at Christ on the cross, he sees my sin, he looks at me, and he sees Christ's righteousness, he sees Jesus' goodness, and I get traded with him because I belong to Christ. Um, The only righteousness I can have is that. But, now here's where this gets tricky, because the ancient Jews did not look at it that way. They had a slightly different perspective. Their perspective was, and actually like the the Christian perspective grows out of this, like this this sort of innocent concept. They looked at it and said, I am acting in harmony with God's will. My heart is in alignment with what he desires of me. I am doing these things lately, and so I am righteous. And what it will boil down to is this. Watch this. I can't be righteous of my own effort. I can't be good enough to earn my way into heaven. But in relationship with God at the moment, like that is a big deal, right? I am married to my wife. And my wife loves me, assuming she will love me forever. There are days she loves me more than others, I think. There are days that there are socks left in strange places around the house by the children or the dogs. And I get blamed for it. Um, but that righteousness, he, like I, there are days that my wife will look at me and say, well, you know what, you're not, you know, you're not on my happy list right now. You know, you overslept instead of doing this. You didn't take care of this. You said you would do this, and you haven't done it yet. I'll get to it eventually, but you haven't done it yet. You are not on my happy list. And on those days, I'm guessing she is less inclined to make me breakfast in bed. Right? On those days, it is less likely that I can say, Honey, can you bring me a sandwich? I'm watching TV. And have it work out well. Right? Because I am not on the happy list. She still loves me, but the happy list thing ain't happening. Um, in physics, there's this idea that when things are normal, they, have, they operate a certain way. And when they're really, really tiny, they operate a different way. Are you all familiar with this? Atoms don't follow the law of gravity for some reason. Um, 
our righteousness in the large scale only comes about by Christ. Once we are in Christ, we have to follow we have to follow him. We have to love him. We have to have a relationship with him. We have to know him, and we have to be in relationship with him, and that affects how our world operates. Does that make sense? Say, I don't feel close to God right now. Of course, I've been you know, doing this and doing this and doing this, and I stopped talking to God, and I haven't read my Bible in like three years, but it doesn't mean we are on our way to heaven. It doesn't mean we... Um, suddenly become acceptable to God or not acceptable to God because I have read my Bible eight times and I wore the right clothes and I did this and I did that. None of that stuff works. Only Christ makes us acceptable to God. After we are acceptable to God in Christ, we bring our gifts to him, right? Are they the best gifts ever? Well, God pretty much owns everything. I got nothing I can bring him, right? I mean... How do you, how do you, that's my wife's birthday is in two weeks. It's so hard to get her gifts because she already has everything. Uh, (laughs) You know, how do you, you you show her you love her, right? What are my kids doing when they bring me Batman cars? They're showing me they love me. Nothing else. I don't need this car. I'll buy another one. I'll buy a box of them if I feel like it. I can do that. I'm an adult. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for catching that. But far more precious to me is the fact that my child loves me. When we approach God, what God desires is for us to love and and desire him. Um, When we are rewarded according to our righteousness, first off, we're rewarded according to Christ's righteousness. And then after that, like God answers prayer and he responds to us um, like in harmony with our relationship with him. Does that mean if I have a close relationship, you always give me what you want, what I want? No, he'll give me what I need. The assumption amongst the ancient Jews I already touched on this. Uh, we're to imitate him. So part of this is imitating him. I, I, I work to be like Christ. I work to look like the Father. I work to have the same attitude. When I see like the helpless being mistreated, or poor people being mistreated, or like people acting wickedly toward folks who who can't defend themselves, like that should make me angry, and I should act right because you see that over and over again. That's like the heart of who God is in the Old Testament. You're oppressing the widow. You are not visiting the prisoner. You are not doing this. You're mistreating orphans, and God gets ticked off, and He sends you know swarms of locusts and fire from the sky and stuff like that. Um, like God is a big deal, like about these things, my heart should reflect his. And so when I see folks who are struggling, when I see folks who are hurting, when I see folks who are desperate and in need of care, like my desire is to help them, right? To be Christ in their lives, um, to help go paint bedrooms. I'm talking about some of you guys, right? To help lay down carpet, to help install windows, to help you know, do whatever it is it needs to be done because I love like Christ loved and that's who I'm going to be. And that's how we act righteous. And so when he says, God treated me according to my righteousness, he treats us according to how we reflect him, how we look like him. Uh, we go on 21 to 24. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have not been blameless before him. I have, not, I have kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanliness of my hands in his sight. When George Mueller prayed for the meal in the orphanage, like this is a guy who has oriented his life around serving Christ. 
and around serving orphans, like orphans who were homeless otherwise or became owned by factories or whatever. I mean, like, like he's a guy who built his life around serving the Lord, and God responded to his prayers. There's actually some amazing stories about George Mueller. There's a story about him riding a steamship into London and fog setting in and them being in danger. And somebody approached Mueller and asked him to do something about it. And so he prayed and the fog lifted within like 10 minutes or something. I mean, there's crazy stories about this guy because he would pray and God would respond. And some of us have that experience where we have times where God will respond to everything we pray for. And I'm going to guarantee you start looking and generally these are things that are in line with us having like, like close relationship with him, chasing after him. This begins with knowing him. I cannot say this enough. And so as we go on, like we're going to jump ahead to the W, the work it in. How do we work this into our lives? Like we have to orient ourselves around it. We have to work toward this. We have to try to imitate Christ. And this is hard. I worked with a guy who drove me nuts at one point. Oh, wow, it's only 10 till. Nobody changed the clock battery? (laughs) Uh, How has this not happened yet? Um, I worked with a guy once who drove me nuts, and I, I wanted to strangle him every day on my way home from work. I, I would think about this guy. I'd be so mad by the end. And at the end of the day, when I began praying about it, and I realized that I wasn't being Christ to the guy, I had to, like, swallow my pride, put away my anger, and be Christ to him. I had to serve him and find ways to love him when he was being nasty to me. And when he caused problems, he lied about me at work a couple of times. And I had to, like, all right, well, you know, this is a part of loving people. Um, but it's amazing how effective that is in my own heart and in the lives of the people that I'm dealing with. Imitating Christ means everything. We talked about compartmentalizing last week um, a little bit, how we create compartments. This is my Jesus department, and I do my Jesus thing on Sundays, but no other day. This is my work department. This is my relationship department. This is my this. This is my that. And at the end of the day, like Christ is supposed to be hanging out in all of these compartments. But in our world, in our culture, we like to break Jesus out and put him over here and separate him. The reality is, when you do your job, you do your job representing Jesus. When you deal with your neighbor... You do it representing Jesus. When you drive and you cut that guy off and you flip off the guy in the green truck because he's going so slow, not that I've done that or would ever do that, but like those things, you are representing Christ and you are reflecting on him. Um, And how you behave, how you act is the offering you bring. And so we are to orient ourselves towards this, toward holiness. You cannot earn your way into heaven. You cannot make it so you have never sinned, but you can chase after goodness. I love my wife. Right? Before I met my wife, I dated a handful of other girls. None of them were nearly as great as she is. But now that I'm married, I only belong to her. Right? And so, like, I walk through the grocery store, and there's one of those magazines sitting there. There's a part of me that says, hey, check that out. And there's another part of me that says, that's not my wife. Right? I'm to be holy and set apart for her. And I hope that she does the same thing for me. Um holiness is being set apart. And so I set myself apart for God. Like I set myself apart in my relationship with God. Um, I say, well, this is something that will like pollute my soul. And so I got to step back from that and say, you know what? I belong to him. Um, Is that the greatest thing we can do? No, our best actions like that are like filthy rags next to his robes of righteousness. But they are a Batman car. They are, and I love you and I got something for you. 
To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the devious, you show yourself shrewd. To the humble, you bring, your, bring low those who are, whose eyes are haughty. You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. So check this out. Um, what he's talking about here is he's saying, listen, uh, if I'm faithful to God, he's faithful to me. If I'm shrewd with God, if I'm devious, if, I am, if I'm misleading, God is going to deal with me in the same way. I often actually didn't think about it until right now, but my guys who would say, God, let me out of here and I will live for you. And then they end up in rehab. <laughs> they were planning on living for him. They were lying. Like, and they all acknowledge they were lying if you talk to them long enough. Like, oh, I'll quit. I'll quit being bad. I'll quit doing anything. God says, well, I'll give you a helping hand. If we're devious with God, he is devious with us, right? Does things his way, but for our best. With my God's help, I can advance against a troop. I can scale a wall. The image here is one of charging into an enemy army single-handedly and not losing. My God can take me anywhere. My God can take me over any obstacle. Um, does that mean that every time I get into a fight, I could, I could go out and pick a fight with Mike Tyson? Nope. Got to be in harmony with his will, right? God does not want me to fight Mike Tyson. <laughs> I would not. I wouldn't see the whole thing either. <laughs> um, what's he talking about? He's talking about, all right, um, harvest is coming up. Some of you guys are going to be driving. When you drive a combine or a swath or anything else, we all know this, right? You don't aim your combine by the line in front of you. You aim it by the fence post at the end of the field, right? Because if you aim it by the line in front of you, what do you do? I remember the first few times I drove like, like Swather. By the end of the day, I was, <laughs> I was doing loops. I don't even know how I managed it. You know, and what I really should have done is just cut straight across and fixed it, right? But I didn't because I was not paying attention to the fence post. You aim at something outside of your experience, outside of your field, something that will never move and you live according to that. And it makes it so your combine drives a straight line or reasonably straight, depending on how much better you are than I am. Um, we have this habit. And how do we own this? How do we own these ideas? How do we make this a part of our lives? Here's how we do it. We pick out something and we aim at it. We pick out God's righteousness. We pick out Christ's attitude. If you want to know like how to do this, read the book of Proverbs and read the book of James. Right? These two books. If you read these two books, you will find a collection of fence posts that you can aim your combine at, you can aim your life at, and you will cut in straight lines. The alternate to that is sitting... Everybody look around you. I'll know who's awake still. <laughs> look around you, and I will bet you, I'll bet you $4 that every person in this room has compared themselves to somebody else in this room at some point and said, at least I'm doing better than that guy, or at least I'm not doing as badly as that guy. Don't point. But everybody's looking at me right now, so I figure <laughs> you're all doing great compared to me. Um, the idea of growing into holiness is picking out Christ's best and aiming at it. Not picking out Eric and doing better than him. Not picking out Rebecca and doing almost as good as she is, so I must be holy. Not picking out uh, Ross 
And, and I'm not going to say anything else. Uh, <laughs> actually, I wish I was as good a guy as Ross, honestly. I, like, like, we live in harmony with Christ's will. And we're not going to be perfect. We're going to love God and we're going to show up by being Christ to the people around us. We pick a direction, we aim at it, and we go. And we cleanse our hearts in that direction. We orient ourselves in that direction. We live in that direction. Um, I read a book about Arnold Schwarzenegger, who is not a good guy. I'm, he, I'm sure he's a great actor and very enter- – not a great actor. I'm sure he's an entertaining actor and, and you know, very successful and all that. But I was reading about it, and he was entering Mr. Universe or something, and his dad died like two weeks before. And he didn't go to his dad's funeral because Mr. Universe was more important. Because his heart was oriented at one thing, and that was the only thing. And he said, if you're going to be the best, you have to ignore everything else. This is not a positive example. However, if I live for Christ... I might desire other things. I might be angry about other things. I might be tempted by other things. But I point my combine in that direction and I push. That's what matters. Not what the guy next to me is doing. Not what the lies behind me. Not how I failed last month. Nothing. Only Christ. How do we do this? Proverbs and James. Read them. Read them every day. Read them over and over again. If you read a chapter of Proverbs a day, you will go through it in one month, and you can start over again and read it again. Except for, what is it, like February kind of messes it up, and but whatever. <laughs> you get the idea. It's 31 chapters, or 30, something like that. Um, and James. James is an explanation of the Sermon on the Mount. If you can follow the Sermon on the Mount, you will be amazing. You will be like Christ. That is what Christ calls us to. Is it a standard that's achievable? Absolutely not. Christ said, any man who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I don't know a single man in the world who cannot say they have never sidelong glanced at a woman, right? But it's a target we can aim at and then we got something we can bring. I got nothing to give God but my heart and my love for him. We can establish discipleship relationships. There are guys in this room who will happily sit down with you once a week and ask you hard questions. James, uh, not James, um, Jimmy is one of those guys. Jimmy asks harder questions than anybody I know. And he is one of my favorite people, and there are definitely days he asks questions, and I think, man, I wish I could be anywhere but right here. (laughs) (laughs) Jimmy asked me some of the most personal questions I have ever been asked in my interview to come here, right? But that is a gift from God. And if you can find people who will ask you questions, and call you out when you're being dumb? Does anybody have friends like that? Call you out when you're being dumb. That is a blessing. I'm going to close in prayer and I'll let you go. Uh, My challenge to you today is... um, My challenge to you today is to find your own car and give it to God. Find your gift. Find your heart. Find the thing that God cares about in your life and give it to Him and let Him have it. Because you want something? No. But because you love it. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to be people who are righteous um, in Christ by, by his grace given to us on the cross. But beyond that, help us to be people who pursue righteousness in relationship to you. Help us to know you and be close with you and be intimate with you and be your people, Lord God. Help us to become people who are like Jesus. Amen. Have a good day.